Welcome to Something Like a Pop, a Broadway World's Pop Culture Podcast. I am Broadway World and Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini, and as always, I am joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World's Jennifer McHugh. Jen, happy 2018. We've talked offline, um, or actually online, just not on podcast, uh, since the beginning of the year, but this is our first time talking with Something Like a Pop in the year, so uh, I hope 2018 is much less shitty than 2017 was. I mean, we can only hope at this point. <laughs> only only one way to go after that one. Uh, but you can follow Jen on Twitter at EponineQ. That's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q. And you can follow me at B-W-W-M-A-T-T. You can follow the show on Twitter at S-L-I-P Podcast. Jen, in this episode, we're going to look back at the year that it was in popular culture. And now, believe it or not, for the third year in a row, we are counting down our top 10 favorite movies and TV shows of the previous calendar year. Jen, it's a little weird to me that we've been doing this is the third time we've done a year retrospective episode i agree i can't believe i've known you this long and still wouldn't know you if i fell over you in the street i mean like i i've seen you on instagram and twitter and stuff so i mean like i I would know your face but it would be i would fall over if i ran into you accidentally just out of shock at why i was in orlando well i mean or anywhere it could be in kalamazoo michigan it would still be shocking more shocking if it was in kalamazoo obviously but again i still hold fast to what i said in one of our previous episodes that we need to set up one of our uh, a new york trip there so we can see some stuff together and do a live podcast recording because no one wants to do it in orlando and maybe california maybe i'll come to california and we can do one at some point but anyway we are doing kind of what you love best in this episode jen we are talking about pop culture and doing it in list form, which is something that I know always gets you excited. Jen, now that we are in February, the Super Bowl is about to be done. It's time for us to start looking forward to the sweeps that happen on television during the month of February and this month-long lead-up to the Academy Awards that happened the first weekend in March. So what we're going to do on this episode is before we start looking forward, we're going to look back. Where This is a little delayed. Wanted to get this out a little sooner, but stuff happens. Um, we're going to look back at our top 10 favorite TV shows and movies of 2017. We're going to first start off with the top 10 movies of the year in terms of each of us. And then we'll have a little special thing where Jen has her top five pop culture moments. And then we'll finish with our favorite TV shows of 2017. Now, Jen, every year we say this, these are not the TV shows or movies that we think are best. We kind of save that discussion for the awards, uh, whether those are the Emmys or the Oscars. But with this, these are just the things that we liked best. Maybe we are fully going to admit that they're not the best. It's just what we liked the best, the things that had the biggest impact on us, either emotionally or sentimentally or something else. So that is a distinction that I want to get out of the way early on. Well, also, uh, for one thing, I think we're going to overlap a lot because yeah. as we've gotten to know each other, we've started agreeing more with it's the uh, Justice League Thor fight aside. <laughs> I think we mostly agree. And and honestly, I think in a lot of these things, they are the best of the year, not just what we liked the most. Yeah, we're, we're going to start with movies. And one of the reasons why I, th- I, I think we're going to agree a lot this year, because I think this year has edged me more away from the dramas and more towards comedies because of the crappy drama that's gone on in the real world. I just don't want as much drama in my pop culture uh, entertainment. So there are more comedies in this year's list on both TV and movies than there ever has before. We've talked about this offline, Jen, that all the movies that are getting the awards recommendations and nominations and they're winning things. We've already had the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice Awards. I didn't love them. Most of the things that I enjoyed this year are not up for awards, and the things that are up for awards, 
I thought they were just all right. I agree. And we talked about that offline a little. We say that like we we talk all day long every day, which, you know, isn't yeah. far from the truth. But <laughs> um, I think we kind of went on a, a, a mission in the last few weeks to try and see as many movies as we could mm-hmm. before the award season kicked off. And it left us both feeling a little underwhelmed because we kind of think that the Hollywood film industry kind of peaked um, in the off season in the summer and in the spring, which is <laughs> unusual. Yeah. Well, let's let's do this. Let's talk about our favorite movies. And then before we get to your top five pop culture moments, let's give us some real quick thoughts on the award contenders um, that are probably going to be in the running for best picture and best actor, blah, 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 those kind of things that we don't mention. That way we can get at least a real quick take on those before we move uh, on to the next section. How's that? Great. All right. In terms of movies, I will count through my 10 through 6 selections. Then Jen will do hers. Then we'll alternate back and forth 5 through 1. My number 10 was the Greta Gerwig written and directed film that is getting a lot of award buzz called Lady Bird. My number 9 was a movie that I don't know that anybody actually liked other than me. It was uh, from a story originally written by J. and Mark Duplass. The film was written and directed by Jeffrey Blitz. It starred Anna Kendrick, Craig Robinson, June Squibb, Lisa Kudrow, Stephen Merchant, Wyatt Russell, and Tony uh, Revolori. That movie is called Table 19. I thought it was absolutely delightful whether Anna Kendrick was in it or not, but nobody else seemed to like it, but oh well. The next one is a kind of a British action comedy shoot 'em up heist movie that I thought was absolutely fantastic. It was released in the UK in 2016, released in the US in April. Um, it had a fantastic cast, including Army Hammer, Brie Larson, Killian Murphy, and more. That was called Free Fire. I thought it was fantastic. Number seven on my list is a Netflix film that I think is going to have some award consideration, even if it doesn't win anything. It is a movie that takes place uh, right after World War II in Louisiana or in, in Mississippi and it looks at two families um, who live near each other one African-American one white and how racial tensions color the relationships between them it is called Mudbound Mary J. Blige is in it Carrie Mulligan Garrett Hedlund Jason Clark Jason Mitchell and uh, Jonathan Banks and a really assholey role i don't know i I think he's kind of a bad guy on in the better call Saul breaking bad world but he's a really bad dude in this one um and then finally number six here jen is a movie that i know you and i both loved even though i'll speak for myself i'll let you see if you talk about this one it's not a very good movie it's just not a good movie but i adored everything about it it is the uh new movie musical called the greatest showman which features a score by Pascal Paul and has a great cast of Hugh Jackman, Zac Efron, Michelle Williams, Rebecca Ferguson, who oddly they cast her and she doesn't actually sing. Her voice is dubbed Zendaya, the great Kiala Settle and more. Um, maybe we'll talk about this more. I, there's nothing really good about this movie. That I can say the songs aren't great. The script's not great. The acting's good. Um, a lot of historical license taken, but I loved everything about this movie. So mine again are Lady Bird, Table 19, Free Fire, Mudbound, and The Greatest Showman. Jen, what about you, 10 through 6? Well, I'm going to have a lot more to say about The Greatest Showman and argue okay. with a lot of the things you just said. Okay, fair. But we'll save that for later. And my list is so vanilla compared to yours. It's like I am just a little <laughs> valley girl who go to the movies when there's something big opening. So okay. sorry, but those were the fun ones for me this year. Um 
And my number 10 was Atomic Blonde with hmm. Charlize Theron. Uh, just a really good old-fashioned shoot-em-up action movie, but with a, a blonde uh, action star with a lady kicking ass, which I appreciate. Which seemed to be a big theme this year. Number nine, even though I've decided to swear off superhero movies, I feel like all of a sudden they upped their game, and now they're some of the best movies of the year. So my number nine was Thor Ragnarok, which was way better than Justice League. My number eight <laughs> is another superhero movie, which is Wonder Woman, which I thought was finally something from DC that was watchable, and Gal Gadot is one of the one, most wonderful women in the world. Um, my number seven is Beauty and the Beast, the live-action remake of the animated classic from 1992. It's still, to this day, probably one of my favorite Disney movies, and I thought they did a really great job in the live-action version. And number six, another superhero movie, which is Spider-Man Homecoming, and I think Tom Holland wins the prize over Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire as the greatest interpretation of this character as to date. Yeah, I liked a lot of those movies on your list. I didn't uh didn't love them, but I don't have any problem with them uh on there. You know, I'm always going <laughs> to I'm always going to champion you liking superhero movies. But yeah, I I think you're right. One it kind of goes back to the discussion we had before we started counting down. The critically acclaimed for one reason or another awards bait movies just didn't do it for me. It really was the Hollywood tentpole franchisey, you know, big budget popcorn movies that really, to me, lapped the field in terms of entertainment value. So, um, I, even though I didn't have any overlap with you on our six through 10, um, I definitely agree with your sentiments and liked a lot of those movies. But for me, Number five, as we start getting into these, as we'll go back and forth, to me, the best Marvel movie of the year, and maybe you'll have it later in your list, um, was Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Uh, I think that that whole group of people and the group of characters, which really is just a bag of bizarre characters from the Marvel cinematic, from the Marvel universe, thrown together into a bag, and it's a talking raccoon, it's a... Uh, 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 an anthropomorphic tree. It's just so weird and so funny. I really loved it. Um, I had some quibbles about how they used uh, Chris Pratt's Peter Quill and and Zoe Saldana's Gamora. I I wish they would have integrated them uh, more together into the the larger story, but I understood why they didn't. But um, had some breakthrough performances for me on that one from Dave Bautista. I thought he was fantastic in it. Um, I thought... Uh, Palm Clement TF as Mantis was great along uh, with Bautista's Drax. Of course, Bradley Cooper's great uh, as the voice of Rocket Raccoon. Then you have Michael Rooker and Karen Gillian. Just a really, really great film. Uh, like, like I said, one of those popcorn, shoot 'em up, fun, goofy movies. I absolutely loved Guardians of the Galaxy. And for me, that was the best Marvel movie of the year, even though I quite enjoyed spider-man homecoming as well yeah i think that was my number 11 i i toyed between that and guardy um and thor but we all know that i loved thor way more not going to revisit that but (laughs) anyway my number five and i honestly never in my entire life thought that i would say that i'm going to put a horror movie on my favorite movies of the year but my number five is it Mm. and The um, new interpretation of the Stephen King novel, obviously there was a very famous miniseries in the 80s, and this one they decided to 
redo um, in a modern setting and you have someone taking on that iconic role created by Tim Curry where Bill Skarsgård steps in and just makes a brand new legendary performance. But to me, the stars of this movie were the kids. It was so mm-hmm. nice to see kids being kids. And not only that, but just kids in the 80s when they just didn't give a shit about anything. And they talked <laughs> like kids do. Like uh, throwback to the bad news bears, and um, they really obviously took a lot of inspiration from this whole movement of of kids stars like Stranger Things and a throwback to the Goonies and anything with kids on bikes. I'm a fan of. And yeah, that's I, that's well established in the history of some like a pop. You love kids on bikes. Well, and what's interesting about this, and I'll let you get back to it, but what's interesting is is it does have a star from Stranger Things, but I think. It was filmed be it was filmed after Stranger Things, but before Stranger Things became this huge thing. So I don't know if they were it was causation or correlation or how that actually works. But they very much were similar. Before you saw it, I saw it, and I said it has a very Stranger Things vibe to it, and that's a good thing. It does, and all these kids are great. I mean, he was great, of course, but all these other kids, I don't think I'd ever seen in anything before. Maybe in a few things here and there. But you have to have strong kids to make that movie work. And it's a perfect combination of horror and comedy. And I just, even despite being dragged to it, very much enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a, definitely a good one. I'm going to go from your horror movie to another horror movie. One that was um, originally released in 2016 at like a film festival and then got its wide release in uh, the U.S. in 2017. And this is one that I was very happy to enjoy on a lot of levels. And that was the latest film from M. Night Shyamalan called Split. It starred James McAvoy. Anya Taylor-Joy and the indomitable Betty Buckley. Um, This is a movie about uh, a character played by James McAvoy who kidnaps three young, uh, young teen girls and locks them up in this underground bunker. Turns out that James McAvoy's character has dissociative identity disorder and has 23 different personalities and they fight amongst themselves um, to try to k- kind of keep these girls safe from the 24th personality that's called the Beast, and it's just this terrible thing. Anya Taylor-Joy was also in The Witch. Um, I don't remember if The Witch was 2017 or 2016. Um, I didn't it was, no, it was 2015 even. Uh, I didn't love that movie, but she's turning into being a, an actress who is very, very strong. Um, a young woman who is, uh, I think, has a lot that's going to happen for her in the next few years. Betty Buckley, who's become a regular in M. Night Shyamalan movies, was absolutely fantastic. I talked to Betty earlier in 2017 about the movie, and she just raved about working on that film with James McAvoy and M. Night Shyamalan. And then what I really loved about it was that it turns out that it's in the same cinematic universe as my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie called Unbreakable, which was his second big one, his kind of follow-up to The Sixth Sense, where Bruce Willis's character is this unbreakable guy, and Samuel L. Jackson is his arch-villain. So they're going to have a sequel that will kind of bring those together. So I'm very much looking forward to that. But I loved, I loved me some Split in early 2017. Now, I've seen Unbreakable. I have not seen Split. But the second you say that word, there's only one thing that comes into my mind, and that's the theme song from Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt. They're alive, damn it. Because yeah. females are strong as hell. Okay, um, so this what is... Hearing that. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, okay, so what's your number four, Jen? 
My number four is Baby Driver, which is uh, by my revered favorite director, well, top three, um, Edgar Wright. And this was his first time kind of delving into an actual action movies. Now, in his past movies, he's had action sequences, but this is literally like a car chase movie. And I wasn't expecting to like it this much, but we had discussed this prior. And the thing that sold it for me was the music. And he really incorporated the music into the movie to the point of the characters almost doing you know, subtle choreography to the soundtrack that was playing. I don't think it's subtle. As well as um, it being uh, not just a score for these car chases, but it really contributes to the plot. And um, I don't want to give anything away. You should have seen it before, but it really does um, figure into Ansel Elgort's character very prominently. But anyway, I thought it was a nice departure for Edgar Wright and nice to see him doing new things. And I really enjoy John Hamm as a bad guy because it's really hard to see him as anything but not a bad guy. So Baby Driver is my number four. Yeah, what's interesting about that, I recently watched, I don't remember how I stumbled across it on YouTube or something, the, again, spoiler alert, the chase scene where Ansel Elgort runs through a mall and then runs through downtown uh, Atlanta when he's running away from the police and running away from John Hamm and his girlfriend's characters. It's really, really fun. It's not in my list, but it's a fun movie. It didn't live up to all the hype for me, but I really enjoyed it. It would be in the 11 through 20 range for me, though. Um, okay, so next up for me is a movie that you've already mentioned, and it was my favorite superhero movie of the year, and that is Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins, starring the great Gal Gadot, who I think is a star already, but I think she has all the makings. Like you said, she's just a phenomenal human being, and I think she has, because of this platform that she's earned with Wonder Woman, the ability to do a lot of good for a lot of people, both on screen and off. It also stars Chris Pine, Robin Wright, um, Connie Nielsen, and some other folks, but just so good. And like we've said before, I don't know that this movie, if it was not Wonder Woman, if it wasn't a female-centered thing, would be as good. But the added elements of Wonder Woman coming out in this year of all years, you know, in June of this year or last year, when women have you know, women and feminism has been such an important part of the discussion. I think it takes on this extra level and I'm so excited to see what they do with this moving forward because I thought it was just a fantastic film, a really incredible way to take this literally otherworldly character and make it very poignant to real life America today. So I, I love me some Wonder Woman and it is my number three. So Jen, what about you? Well, my number three is a movie that you already mentioned, as I have a feeling our top two may be the same. Yes, I agree. Um, (laughs) Even if they're in a different order. But number three for me is The Greatest Showman. I saw it over the holidays with my lovely mother, who introduced me to musicals when I was a young child. And from the very second the lights came up on the screen and we saw the stomping mm-hmm. in the crowd. We looked at each other and we're like, Oh my God, this is going to be so good. So please stop singing. Sorry. And <laughs> I disagree with you that the songs are okay. I think they're phenomenal. I use them literally as a workout when I go to the gym because they are so inspiring and empowering. I think this is me by Kiala Settle is going to become an anthem for mm. bullied people everywhere. It is so empowering. And Now that I'm listening to more of the songs on the soundtrack, 
I'm really starting to love all of the other ones as well. So I completely disagree with you that the songs are forgettable and not entertaining, but I'm glad that you love the movie, but I thought it was a great movie. And I'm not just saying that, yes, they took a lot of artistic license because I do know a lot about P.T. Barnum. And I think they kind of sided on the let's make him a fun historical figure instead of pointing out all his flaws, which whatever, it's fine. It's a choice. But um, that aside, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was an entertaining story. I thought this the actors were great. I thought the songs and the numbers were amazing and I can't wait to see it again, but I do recommend you see it in theaters because it is an experience. Yeah, absolutely. And here's what's weird. And I'm not saying that the songs weren't entertaining. I think the songs were very entertaining, but I think they're entertaining in the context of the movie. To me, yes, I think this is, uh, this is me is a great anthem, won a golden globe already. And I'm so excited to see Broadway's own Keala Settle perform at the Oscars because I'm but they, I, and to me, none of the elements work in a vacuum, but they all work when put together. And I got to say, how I was impressed with Michelle Williams. Her vocal talents were not, let's say, praised significantly when she, when she played Sally Bowles on Broadway in Cabaret. But I thought she was great in this. And you mentioned Spider-Man Homecoming. And when we talked about that, we both loved Zendaya. And I thought Zendaya was great in this movie. Um, I liked Zac Efron a lot. I, I mean, I really liked everybody. I mean, this is just one of those things where you leave feeling good. I had tears streaming down my face four or five times during this movie. Um, so it was on my list, obviously. So I'm not saying it's bad, but I, I do want to make sure I'm very clear that uh, it, was, it was a very, very powerful film. I do encourage you to go and listen to a few more of the songs. Um, the Greatest Show and Come Alive, out of context, actually do work really well. Um, when you're watching the film, it seems like it's specific to the movie. But if you listen to the lyrics or read the lyrics outside of the context of the movie, it really can be applicable in other situations. And I think they're all very empowering. Yeah, they're, they're, they were a little bland for me, but uh, but teach his own. And I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it as much as... Uh, as much as you did. All right, moving on to my number two. And Jen, I think you are absolutely right. Our top two are going to be the same. Don't know if the order is going to be the same. Um, but I think our top two are going to be the same one way or the other. Here's how I looked at these last two. Jen, we've talked about both of these on previous episodes before. If I was, If you were going to ask me which of these final two is the best movie and which was my favorite, the answers would be different. So since this list, as we've said before, are our favorites, um, I'm going to do the one that I think is the best as number two, and that is Jordan Peele's Get Out. Um, that's not you know, slighting it a- a- at all, because I absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was entertaining. It was funny. It was scary. The performances were fantastic. Um, we've talked about it. So much. So I don't feel like we need to, to get into it much other than to say that it really is an allegory for the African-American experience in a lot of ways. And Jordan Peele is just absolutely one of a kind of being able to insightfully point these things out. The performances are great. Daniel Kulea is fantastic as Chris. Allison Williams is so good as Rose. Catherine Keener, Bradley Whitford, Stephen Root um, is great. And then you've got to throw in Lil Rel Howery. Um, just really, really great. Um, like I said, this will be, to me, what I'm rooting for in terms of Oscars. Not my favorite of the year. Close. But I, I do think it's the best movie of 2017. Well, 
I agree with you that sometimes your favorites and the best movie of the year are different. However, in this case, the best movie of the year was my favorite. So in okay. close second, my second favorite movie of the year is The Big Sick, which I'm assuming is your number one. So first, let me speak to Get Out because that's my number one. And I agree with everything you said. I do think it's the best movie of the year. And I also think that he invented the genre like these. I don't even know what that genre is, but it's I think everyone is giving it such praise, deserved praise, because it's it's something we've never seen before. And he was brave and he wrote this script not knowing how it would be received. And the fact that it came out in March and it's still getting all this praise is really a testament to it because there is a lot of times when movies come out in the spring because they don't know how they're going to be received that they are virtually forgotten by award season. So I am rooting for that to win. However, my number two, which I assume is your number one, which you can comment on as well, mm-hmm. is The Big Sick by Kumail Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon, his lovely wife, as the, or just his wife, as the Post called it her. Um, anyway, it's the story of their um, love story. And it's a crazy story. And it's so funny and so heartwarming. And it made me even bigger fan of Ray Romano and Holly Hunter because as portraying Emily's parents, they are suddenly thrust into this crazy situation with Kumail. And, you know, they, they put a lot up there on that screen. I think everybody did a great performance and, and Kumail, who's just playing himself, it's hard to like compliment his acting because he's playing himself, (laughs) but he really is doing a great performance too. So it's complicated, but that was my number two of the year. And I know that that was your favorite of the year. So I'll let you speak to that. Yeah. Yeah, I, Big Sick, The Big Sick is my favorite movie of the year. And like you said, it's just one of those movies where you are completely engrossed in this story. One, because it's just a, a fantastically told story. But for me, I think the fact that I knew it was written by not only Kumail, but also um, his his wife, Emily, who as a character is in a coma for most of the movie. So the fact that I knew that she woke up, uh, I think gave me a little bit of a, a, the ability to enjoy it a little more than I might've normally. Um, I did love Zoe Kazan who played Emily. Um, I think she's, she's one of my favorite actresses. Um, also a great Twitter follow, by the way, you know, she spent a, a good part of that movie in a coma lying in a hospital bed. And I was, I, I was, I was anxious for her to wake up just because I wanted her to have more screen time because I thought she was great. But like you said, so much of this movie is powerful and poignant and funny and hilarious. You know, there, there were some liberties taken with what, with what actually happened. That's why they changed Emily's last name from Gordon to Gardner. Apparently her father did not actually have an affair at a math conference like Ray Romano's character did. That was, added for drama's sake but to see ray romano and holly hunter do these great performances as parents that are so layered and and multi-textual and super funny i i love this movie and um, i'm so glad that it's on amazon prime so people can watch it you know for free if they have prime and you know it's not something that they have to seek out as much so i'm hoping that even more people get to see it because uh it was a little movie cost them five million to make and it Gross to you know fifty sixty million dollars worldwide, and I'm very very happy about that for them. 
Me too. And they did have a surprise win at the Critics' Choice the other night, so it gave mm-hmm. them a little bit more momentum going into award season. So I really hope they're not forgotten, even if it's just screenplay. But I would love to see them get a few more. Yeah, so let's talk real quick about the movies that have got a lot of uh, buzz already. And it, really, to me, I think it's two big ones. I mean, there's others, but the two big ones are Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri and The Shape of Water. Jen, have you seen both of those? I have. Okay, and so have I. I liked both of them. I didn't love either of them. I wanted to love both of them. I expected to love both of them. And I just liked them. I think I liked Three Billboards better. I don't think by much, but I just... I was expecting more, uh, you know, and they both they both won a bunch at the Golden Globes. Uh, three Billboards won Best Motion Picture Drama. Uh, Shape of Water won Best Director. Uh, Francis McDormand won. Um, Sam Rockwell won. All these things. I, I really wanted to love these movies. I expected them to have a little more to them. And they were just, they were good. I mean, they were above average, but they weren't transcendently great to me. No, and I think I can say that across the board for this award season, with the exception of the two we just discussed. I think there's a lot of great moments. I think there's a lot of great performances. I think Frances McDormand is great. I think Allison Janney is amazing, but Itania was fine. Um, yes. The Shape of Water to me was just splash shot prettier. <laughs> um, that's, that's that's actually really funny, yeah. And the Florida Project is the best birth control I've ever seen. <laughs> but um and i call me by your name was sweet but worthy of all this award praise i'm i just I i'm underwhelmed i don't yeah and i hate being that person because i get so angry at people when they're like oh, i was expecting more but there's just nothing that's blowing me away i i just think that get out in the big sick were the best movies of the year and nothing has come close to it for me this year same z's all right, Jen. So we're on the same page pretty much with the movies. You are much better at picking out moments and remembering things because I I have rem- problems remembering plot points in movies that I saw the day before. But you're better at kind of these these bigger moments things. So you have five pop culture moments from 2017 that you wanted to count down, and I'm sure I'll have stuff to say about them. Um, But so why don't you go ahead and tell us what those five big moments from last year were? Well, I think, I don't know if favorite is the right word for some of them, yes, but I think significant is a better word that just I kind of jotted down. Um, And these really aren't in a particular order. I'm just going (laughs) to attach numbers to them for organization because I'm OCD. Number five, I thought it was nice to see a shift in the late night um, talk shows. And I'm not talking about Jimmy Fallon because I just don't talk about Jimmy Fallon. But it was nice to see all of them kind of step up. Um, Jimmy Kimmel kind of became a, a voice for the healthcare debates. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Colbert, who had kind of been flying under the radar since he took over the late show, decided to finally just lean in and become super political and his ratings shot through the roof. And Seth Meyers, I don't know if a lot of people watch him, but he has fantastic monologues and you could see a little bit of his salty and edginess at the Golden Globes, but he does really great think pieces kind of from his SNL um, weekend update roots, really good think pieces about 
the president who I won't name and some of them you can catch on Hulu, some of them you can catch online, but they're really great moments. So I was really happy to see a few of them at least step up and kind of start talking about the elephant in the white house. Nothing to say. I no, I completely agree. I think the, uh, uh, I don't stay up that late, but I can catch clips afterwards. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, like you mentioned, Jimmy Fallon was the king of late night, and it really feels like the turning point for that was when he played nice and rubbed Trump's hair uh, during the campaign. And from there, he still does well, but he does well now, not because people are excited to watch. He does well now for the same reasons that Jay Leno did well, is because the old people like him. Um, he, he has almost no buzz compared to what those guys that you mentioned and James Corden, who I know you love, he's kind of taken the silly segment title away from from Fallon, and the other guys have taken the smart political satire and and turned that into their calling card, which seems really appropriate uh, for this time that we're in right now. Yeah, I forgot about James Corden and Conan as well. I just I like when they don't shy away from the topics. And I think Jimmy Fallon has this place, you know, he's always going to be there for the vanilla audience who just want to laugh. Um, so but I, I, I'm more of a fan of the other guys. Um, number four, I thought that made me really happy was this uh, surge of the 90s. And in particular, I'm really, really was happy to see Twin Peaks come back as it's my favorite show of all time. And most recently, the return of Will and Grace, who really feel like it hasn't a, a day hasn't gone by. And they're edgy and they're funny and they're silly. And you can turn your brain off and laugh at stupid physical comedy for half an hour. And oh, my God, do we need it so badly right now? Yeah, I uh, have to admit I have not checked in on the new Will and Grace, but it seems like a show that was so far ahead of its time uh, when it was first airing that it seems perfectly placed now. And that cast is fantastic. I did stumble across the episode recently of, of Nick Offerman's guest appearance. He's obviously the real-life husband of, of Karen Walker, Megan Mullally. So that's fun. Um, and they've had great guest stars on that, I know, too. So it does seem like a good time for them to, cam- to come back, whether it was planned before all of the craziness with the elephant in the White House, as you call them, um, or not. It just seems like it couldn't have happened at a better time for them. Agreed. Um, my number three favorite moment of the year was the Oscar debacle, which <laughs> I need oh, no explanation. Oh, just makes me cringe. But it was so, so horribly awkward and yet wonderful. I mean, we are. I'm award an award show fan, and I, I can say you are too. And I like yeah. the Oscars. I don't care that they're four hours. I don't care. I love yeah. it. But in the third, in the fourth hour. When something like that happens and everyone takes note and sits up and stands up and it was a moment for the ages. And obviously La La Land had started to reach that peak where people were getting a little sick of it and they started with the backlash and to have it literally announced as the winner and then have it snatched from their hands by a little indie movie called Moonlight with an African-American cast was such a moment. It was awkward. I felt terrible for Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, but wasn't their fault if you say it was their fault you're a terrible person but for moonlight what a moment yeah no it's it i i think you liked la la land more than i did i liked it i didn't love it i did not think it should have been a best picture contender 
So I was a little disappointed when it won. I liked Moonlight better. I didn't love Moonlight. That's not what I was rooting for, to be honest with you. I can't remember what I was rooting for. But um, I, I was very glad at the outcome, even though I still cringe thinking about poor Faye Dunaway in the spot that she was put in. I just feel bad for her. Um, There's a little bit, little, little, little tiny bit of her fault if she'd have read the whole card. But definitely in the big scheme of things, it's whatever Ernst and Young accountant who was supposed to hand him the envelope. I hope that person is now doing like you know, taxes at the Walmart somewhere to, uh, to make up for their huge error. I believe I was rooting for lion. That was my favorite movie last year. Yeah. I don't think that was mine either, but I can't remember. See, see how quickly we forget all this. I don't think that the number two favorite thing of the year will be surprised to anyone, but I was really happy that there was a certain Broadway musical that started a tour. And where <laughs> did it start? In sunny California. It's yeah. been a few months up in San Francisco. And then it journeyed down here to Los Angeles, which I got to go to twice. Go backstage, meet the cast. I've talked about it ad nauseum. No one's surprised. But I'm really, really happy that it's touring now. Yeah, that that on your feet tour to California. I know you love that. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm a huge Gloria Stefan fan, so everybody's right, really not. happy that it's here now. <laughs> I don't know that it's in California, but yeah. Okay, Hamilton. Yay, Hamilton. All right, so what's your number one? Uh, I don't think it's a surprise, but I'm really happy. And I don't know if happy is the right word. I am proud of the Me Too movement and that nobody's taken any of this shit anymore. So it's been pretty publicized and Oprah had a great speech and there was a big statement at the Golden Globes. But the point is, is that the Hollywood elite, as well as across the country, um, are learning that harassment is not a joke and it's not tolerated anymore. So that's my best moment of the year. Yeah, I'm certainly not going to uh, disagree with that one. And I think you said it well and Oprah probably said it even better. So, uh, yeah, I think we're all on the same page there. So that's just five things I pulled out from last year because you know what? Last year wasn't great. <laughs> so <laughs> let's try and pull out the things that were. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, Jen. So I went first on the movies. Do you want to go first when counting down your 10 through 6 on the television programs? Sure. Okay. My number 10 is a series I just began watching that is fascinating on Netflix called Dark it is uh, currently on Netflix. I'm not all the way through it yet, but it is very addicting. Number nine also oh, – wow, there's a big Netflix theme here. Didn't realize that. Number nine is an animated series called Big Mouth done by the mind, the twisted minds of Nick Kroll and John Mulaney, who I adore. It is a children a cartoon about children going through puberty, but don't mistake it for a children's show. You have been warned. Number eight, mm -hmm. another Netflix comedy called Glow, starring the incomparable Allison Brie, um, about the real-life Glow wrestlers, gorgeous ladies of wrestlers from the 80s, with a fictionalized version of that. And number seven is Stranger Things, because it's awesome. And number six is The Keepers, which is another Netflix, all five Netflix. The Keepers wow. is a documentary about the corruption in the Catholic Church of Baltimore is horrifying, and you should never watch it, Matt. Thank you. I appreciate that. As a former altar boy, altar boy myself who went to Catholic school, I will uh, skip that one. All right, Jen. So looking at my list, you had a Netflix theme, theme. I have a comedy theme. I think for the first time ever in the history of my life, I enjoyed, and definitely in the history of our counting down these lists, 
I have more comedies on here, especially depending on how you categorize them, uh, than dramas. And in fact, my numbers 11 and 12 were both comedies as well. They were Brockmire and One Day at a Time. Uh, those were fighting for spots on the list. They didn't make it. But my number 10 is NBC's Walmart ripoff um, sitcom starring the phenomenal America Ferreira. Uh, also has Ben Feldman and a bunch of other just hilarious folks that um, I know, Jen, you never got into, but it's been worth the ride here. It's now in its third season, and that is Superstore. Number nine on my list is something from Netflix, Jen, and it is a comedy that I don't – it might be on your list. I think it very well could be. It is a – true crime mockumentary about a really hellacious case of vandalism at a high school. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Um, and it is called American Vandal. Highly recommended. And here's where my uh, superhero roots come in. I have two superhero shows in the eight and seven positions. The one in number eight is from Hulu. It is the Marvel Runaways. I've talked about this on the show before. It is about a group of kids, some of whom have superpowers, that find out their parents are part of some sort of criminal collective that murdered a, a girl called pride and they run away and they fight their parents i have some issues with it that i think they spend a little too much time on the parents but it's really really fantastic that is the runaways the next one is fantastic it's really really good it's an x-men adjacent tv show on fox called the gifted it stars stephen moyer Amy Acker, um, uh, Natalia Allen Lind, and uh, Jamie Chung is in it as well. And one of the reasons why I was really interested in it is Emma Dumont, who plays uh, Lorna or Polaris, who is a character who is uh, the daughter of Magneto. Uh, but she was one of the Bunheads. So I, of course, love that. And Jen, you know her from one of that Manson TV show that was on a couple years ago. Um, so I love those two. Yes. What was it called? Aquarius. Aquarius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was in Aquarius. So those were my eight and seven. And then number six, back to Netflix, back to comedy, is Glow. Um, I love, I mean, I love, I love, grew up watching pro wrestling. So I loved this. Allison Brie is fantastic. I, but I love Betty Gilpin is fantastic in it. And Mark Marin is fantastic in it. Really, really good. Really excited that they are currently filming or maybe just wrapped up filming uh, season two. So that should be fantastic whenever it comes back. So, Jen, do you want to hit us with your number five? Yes. You'll be shocked to hear what service this is on, but it is on Netflix. And my number five is a show called Mindhunter. Now, hmm. I had high hopes for this because it tore Jonathan Groff away from that little musical that opened up here this year. And so I thought this series better be good to bring that boy off Broadway. And boy, was it good. True crime. Yes, please. 70s. Yes, please. And it's literally based on a true story about how the police department had to start incorporating um, psychological behavior into that of investigating serial killers. And by doing so, they had this guy and an older cop start interviewing serial killers to try and get into their minds. And it is fascinating. So I am very happy for Jonathan Groff. Super happy that Anna Torv is involved from our, our favorite show from a decade ago, um, Fringe. Fringe. And... Uh, I just really love it. I'm so happy they got picked up for a season two. And the guy that plays the serial killer, Edmund Kemper, his name is Cameron Britton, gives an unbelievable performance. So I don't know if it's for you, but 
it's really interesting to see how anti-psychological the cops used to be and how like they were refused to start to think that there was actually a way you could learn how these people thought. So I don't know if it's for you. I loved it because of, well, mm-hmm. obviously, but yeah, because it's a really good you. show. And yeah. Netflix has rare misses for me. So I highly recommend. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a big one because it was, it's from, uh, it's from David Fincher and Charlize Theron, who you mentioned already. She's one of the executive producers. But the reason I really was interested in it and watching it at one point is, um, Mark Kudish is in it. He has a recurring role apparently in it. And, uh, I interviewed Mark earlier this past year about, about billions, which he was on and he talked about what a great show it was. So, I, I, it's on my list to check out. Um, it's only 10 episodes in the first season, but you're right. Not necessarily my thing, but with all the great people in it, it, it just might be. But number five for me, again, is another comedy from a streaming service. And this one, though, is not Netflix or Hulu, which I've already mentioned. This one is Amazon. And this is something that I've talked about before when I watched the pilot because they released the pilots on Amazon like like 20 years before the regular series comes up. And that is the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, It's from Amy Sherman Palladino from the aforementioned Bunheads and Gilmore Girls. And it stars Rachel Brosnahan as a perfect late 20s Jewish housewife who's helping her husband, who's a businessman who struggles as a moonlighting comedian. He then decides to leave her. Then it turns out as her life is falling apart that she's damn funny herself. And with the help of of uh, Alex Borns, uh, Borstein, who was on Mad TV. She kind of gets her own career. It's really, really good. Tony Shalhoub plays her father. Um, one of the other bunheads, ballerinas, Bailey DeYoung, plays her best friend. It's just really good. And again, it kind of goes back to one of the same reasons why I liked Wonder Woman so much is because it it just seems like a perfect time. You know, I'm, another show I'm going to talk about here shows, you know, kind of the depressing dissection of how women are treated this actually um you know shows how a woman kind of fought against the traditionally chauvinistic society that she lived in uh, at the time and and it's uh, really fantastic it's really fun i think rachel brosnahan's a star another good theater person there but uh, the marvelous mrs mazel was my number five I believe she used to be on House of Cards, didn't she? She was. She was. She okay. was. Uh, she was the one that the the president's chief of staff became obsessed with because I think he. I think if I'm going back to the very first season, like she was a prostitute that he got to sleep with um, yeah. Corey Stoll's character, and then they ended up killing him, and she kind of knew it, and so he like became obsessed with her, and blah blah blah. But yeah, she was great in House of Cards. I'm glad she got away from that sinking ship, and now she has a show of her own that she just won a Golden Globe for. So love the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So Jen, what do you have as number four? Um, my number four, I'm actually done with Netflix, <laughs> but. I'm going to borrow uh-huh. your phrase X-Men adjacent and talk about a different show called oh, Legion yeah. on FX. Have you yeah. had a chance to watch that yet? Yeah, we've talked about it before. I've watched it all. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. And I'm really sad. I don't know how it's not on my list, but it's really, really good. Um, This is an, another show that I was forced to watch and two episodes in. I'm like, why is this brilliant? And then I realized it's because the showrunner is Noah Hawley. So I should have known. Mm-hmm. And you know how I'm terrible at describing what shows are when it has to do with 
comic books, but I will say that I know he is a mutant son of Charles Xavier, who I think is someone important in the X-Men. He, that he's, and, the X, he's the X in X-Men. Oh, Professor X. See? Never knew that. Yeah. And it is just a fascinating story because the main character, Dan Stevens, who is unrecognizable from Downton Abbey, plays this David Haller and he is diagnosed with schizophrenia. So it's a lot about his experience at a mental mental institution as they try and deal with his quote unquote disease, not realizing that he has powers, but the supporting cast in this good Lord, Aubrey Plaza, who you may be in love with as April Ludgate plays a character. It's a, it's a career defining role for her. And you've got Katie Asselton, you've got Jean Smart, and you have the incomparable Jemaine Clement, who plays a wacky <laughs> – you think he's been wacky before. I'm not giving anything away because there's so many spoilers, but it's only like uh, six <laughs> episodes maybe. You can't give anything away in this, this oh, show nothing, because nothing. none of it makes sense. It no. is the best time of being confused you can ever have. And don't forget – the greatest clown in the entire world. And I mean that literally Bill Irwin is in it as well. Um, the show is fantastic. I sh- it should be in my list here somewhere. It's, it's not for some reason, but it's, uh, it's so good. Really, really good. So very good call there on Legion. It really is a mind trip and you're watching it. And after an hour, you're like, that was awesome. What just happened? What the F just happened. And it's like that, not just in the pilot, but the entire thing. And oh, no, it gets I'm, weirder every week, yes. but it's wonderful. It really does. And it's coming back for season two. So I'm really excited about that. All right. So my number four, and it just so happens that these are placed next to each other because that show that I mentioned earlier about being kind of the the depressing way that women are treated um, in our world, that was a reference to The Handmaid's Tale, um, the show that I thought was very deserving of all the Emmy wins that it got. Uh, this is obviously based on the Margaret Atwood dystopian novel, follows the Second American Civil War, and stars the great Elizabeth Moss, who, even though she's a Scientologist, I still think she's fantastic. Joseph finds Yvonne Strahovski, Alexis Bledel, and Dowd. God, and Dowd is so good. Samira Wiley. You know, it's one of those things. We've talked about this before, so I won't go too much in depth, but they take this thing that is not too unplausibly possible and it sucks so bad and it's so scary, but find a way to turn it into a story of strength. And um, it's brutal. It's hard to watch at times, but it's so timely. And it's we've said this a lot. A lot of these things are very timely and they were in development and sometimes even in the can before we got into the situation that we're in right now, Jen. And it just seems so perfect. I, the, I don't know. I think that The Handmaid's Tale would have been very well received even during the Obama administration, but it has become important and cultural, de- culturally defining because of the times we're in. So Handmaid's Tale is number four for me. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. And Dow does no wrong. So there's no, no argument she's great. there. No, she's great. It is hard to watch a Scientologist profess, you know, um, how to be careful of getting involved with people like this. But whatever. That's not that's not Margaret Atwood's fault. No, so, although yeah. although Elizabeth Moss is a producer on it as well. But, you know, when the whole thing is kind of like a cult and you're yeah, whatever. Anyway, yes, Jen, your number three is. I'm not going to talk too much about it because I know it's going to be higher on your list, but it is The Leftovers from HBO, 
that ended its its run last year, unfortunately. I, I sometimes think Matt and I are the only two in the world who are madly in love with this show. And the last season didn't disappoint. Um, it was beautiful. Much like Ann Dowd, um, who was also in the show, Carrie Coon does no wrong for me. And I'm always going to accept any show with Justin Thoreau, Justin Thoreau shirtless. It's hard to say. And, and anyway, sometimes, and sometimes bottomless too. Holy crap! But th- that one episode on the ship is uh, <laughs> never going to leave my memory. So I'm just going to leave it at that. I loved yes. the show. I'm sad that it's gone. I'm sad that it never hit mainstream. But maybe it's just the way it had to be to keep it as perfect as it was. So that's my number three. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to that one. Uh, number three for me is the show that was my number one last year. And that is Jane the Virgin, and uh, the show fell from one to three, not because of anything that it did poorly. I thought it was still fantastically good. I think the fall episodes uh, of 2017 were fantastic and moving and 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 very surprising as well. So I love this show so, so much. It's one of those shows where it's just so goofy. And it's so silly that you think about, oh, this is just a really fun way to watch an hour of TV. And then it just hits you with something deep and profound. And it talks about issues that other shows don't even try to talk about. Because one, they might think they're too controversial. Or it's not something a comedy should do. But Jane the Virgin from Jenny Snyder Ehrman, who's the the creator of the show... Um, they just do it with such sensitivity and insight and respect for everybody involved. Um, and it's still funny and silly and goofy and surprising and shocking and emotional. Uh, I just really, really love uh, Jane the Virgin. And the fact that it fell a few spots in my list this year has nothing to do with the slip in quality because I think it's just as good as it's ever been. But some other things did climb the list a little higher this year. I will say that I think Rogelio de la Vega will go down in history as one of the greatest television characters of all time because Mm -hmm. in the hands of a lesser actor, he could so easily become a cartoon and his character is literally a cartoon, but he (laughs) gives him so much heart and so much uh, genuine love. It's just, it's impossible to not fall in love with him every week. Agreed. And I also, I I do want to say one thing. Uh, well, let's do two things. <laughs> I love the trio of women who really are at the heart of this show. Uh, Gina Rodriguez, Andrea Novato, and Yvonne Cole, who are the three generations of Villanueva women. That relationship is so strong, and it's been interesting to see how they play it as Zoe, Jane's mother, Alba's daughter, moves away. Um, it doesn't live with them anymore, but I, I love that relationship at the center. But I also really love what they've done with Petra's character. Petra, who was, for all intents and purposes, one of the villains of the first season, she's now become someone you root for. And she has her moments of being a little shady at times, but she's somebody who you understand and you like and you actually enjoy. So, And that's as much about the writing as it is about the actress, Yael Grobgloss, who is um, uh, really good as well. So I just love everybody on this show. And apparently... Rosario Dawson is going to be uh, having a uh, recurring role in the second half of this season. So definitely looking forward to that as well. So Jen, what do you have as number two for uh, your favorite TV shows of the year? I think we're getting boring because I'm pretty sure our number ones are the same, but um, (laughs) my number two shouldn't be a surprise, but it is twin peaks 20 years later. And we've got the same number one. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I literally have been waiting, is it 25 years? Jesus, 25 years to have a conclusion to Twin Peaks because the series in the 90s left on such a cliffhanger. And I think as much as I loved this series, my favorite part of it was people jumping on the bandwagon at the last moment who have never experienced David Lynch and complaining because (laughs) it it just makes me so happy when people don't understand David Lynch because he thrives on it. He had one scene in one episode that was literally a guy sweeping a floor for 90 seconds. And it was so gratifying. I don't know why, but it was beautiful. And it was just really satisfying. And it was so nice to see a lot of these people again. And it was kind of sad because since it was filmed, a lot of them had died. And even since it has aired, a few people have died. So it really was the last reunion of a lot of these people. So I was so happy with the way it turned out. I don't know if it'll come back again or if Showtime was like, okay, so that was a big mistake, but I don't care because I was happy and I'm really happy that it happened finally after 25 years. Yeah. Uh, I've never, never seen a single episode of Twin Peaks, but the Twitter reactions to every episode were fun to watch because they were all over the place. Like some people like you were obsessed with the weirdness and knew what to expect. But then some people who were kind of late to getting in it were so confounded by what was going on that they got frustrated. And that was fun to see them tweet about because while I've never seen it, I knew it was bonkers. Um, and I don't feel like it makes any sense that someone would have watched it and not known that it was bonkers, but Either way, um, my number two, Jen, is one that you've already mentioned. That is The Leftovers. All I will say is Carrie fucking Coon. I feel like I've said that a lot on this podcast over the years. It was so good. I had a conversation with a, a friend recently about the finale of this, about uh, Carrie's uh, character, Nora's explanation to why she left Justin Thoreau's character, Kevin, and where she went. Um, and what's so great about her explanation is that it is a perfect encapsulation of what this show is. You really have no idea what's going on. You don't really know if it's true or if it's not. Same with the show. You don't know what happened. You don't really understand everything that happened in the three seasons. None of it really makes any sense on a literal level. But there are so many allegorical things that are behind it. And it ultimately, it doesn't matter if you understand it. I thought the final season was remarkable, and I think the series finale was just epically, poetically beautiful. And I'm going to miss this one. I love that Carrie Coon is becoming a star, and uh, she was in The Post, which is another one of those Oscar bait movies that we didn't even talk about because it was kind of boring. And Justin Thoreau is one of those guys who just does whatever the hell he wants because he can do everything. He can write. He can act. He's married to Jennifer Aniston, maybe, I don't know, I can't ever tell based off of the tabloids when I check out at the grocery store, but, um, you know, just a great show that was way ahead of its time, in my opinion, and didn't get the critical respect like you mentioned that it deserved. It should have been one of the greatest shows of all time for everybody, not just for me and Jen, but I will miss The Leftovers. I think Lindelof's really kind of coming into his own in that aspect because the same thing happened with Lost where Mm -hmm. when it started not becoming about plot but more about characters and allegories, everyone checked out. Oh, this is terrible. This is awful. And it's the same thing with Leftovers where if you're going in expecting a storyline with, you know, Act 1, 2, and 3 with 
happy bow ending. This isn't for you. And I think with Lost, he got a little off put that people didn't like it. But then he decided to kind of lean into it. And maybe this will be more of his things. So I kind of hope that we see a lot more of this from him because if he can find his own niche in this way, I'm all, I'm all on board. Yeah. Really, really good. I loved it. So, okay, Jen, I think we are both on the same page in terms of what our number one is. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it doesn't surprise me that we both agreed on it. But yes, this show, I'm a little, I'm, I mean, I'm a little surprised just by who we are. Like, uh, you know, if, coming into this year, if you told me anything other than Jane or the leftovers would have been number one, I'd have been shocked. And for you, by how much you love Twin Peaks, I kind of thought that might be at the top uh, or the leftovers even. But Jen, I think it's safe to say that we both have NBC's The Good Place as number one. Oh, no, I have um, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Oh, shut up. Um, Yeah, obviously, it's. I don't think there's any show on TV right now that can touch it. I think, and we've, we've talked about the show ad nauseum. Like when the premise first came up, we're like, that sounds like a good premise. Ted Danson, Kristen Bell, but how long can they keep it going? And man, do they keep dishing out the surprises and however long they freaking want because it's so good. And the big surprise for me, besides the two I just mentioned were these new people, these newcomers. Chidi is, one of my favorite characters ever. Jason has really come into my heart. And Hani, the three of them bringing up, as well as like the even minor supporting characters like Vicky this year and the unbelievable Darcy Carden, who does oh, no Janet. wrong in this She's series. So good. I really need more of Bad Janet because <laughs> the fact that she describes Hell as replaying Puddle of Mud over and over again mixed with Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. <laughs> I just love Janet. But anyway, I mean, what can we say about The Good Place? <laughs> it, I, it's it's so genius. And what I love about it is, is that it kind of blends – I'm not going to say that it blends a sitcom and a drama in terms of – tone because there's nothing really all that dramatic about the good place but what it does do that is not traditional sitcom stuff is that there are bits of like anthology-ness weaved into it because there's this huge kind of mythology in it behind what the good place is and the bad place is and then it resets so damn much you kind of get different versions of these characters each time at their core they're still the same But you see different people pairing off and you see different versions of Janet as she kind of progresses through. So what's interesting is, is that even though these actors are all playing these fairly well-defined characters, as the good slash bad place resets, we're seeing different incarnations of them, which is really interesting to me because it kind of feels like it's that same Ryan Murphy cast of American Horror Story getting to do different stuff every year. But for us, we're seeing them do slightly different stuff, but in the same world. And that's really interesting to me because they keep coming up with different ways to make these characters more interesting and more nuanced. And I like, I agree with you that the cast is fantastic. It's super funny and they just do things that no one else on TV is even trying. The humor is unlike anything else on TV the signs throughout the good place, just the restaurant signs themselves are hilarious. I could just watch 
them make restaurant names up, you know, and, and like all the weird stuff they put on signs in the town. It's just, uh, it's, there's like nothing like it. And I think again, cause the real world's been so shitty, it might as well go to the good place and have a good time. I agree with you. And Ted Danson, my God, I just, I, I don't even know what yeah. to say about him. You just, and I, honestly, I never know where it's going because no. every once in a while you think you're like, oh, I see where they're going with this. And then it ends. You're like, wait a minute. Did they really just do that? <laughs> and it's really, really clever writing. I mean, I, I rooted for Jacksonville in the playoffs because of Jason. <laughs> like who? Why? Because I wanted him to be happy. He's a fictional yes, character. He's a fictional character. And he's an idiot. Fictional character. He's an idiot but he's so sweet and innocent and you're like you totally buy the way he died because yes that is of course the way he died but it's just i can't believe in only 20 something episodes total how much a part of like you're so invested in these characters and include and and with many characters or with many shows these days there's not bad guys and good guys you know everybody is like well he's despicable but that was really sweet and it's really interesting how they keep shifting who the, like the villains are, and then they become someone completely different. So yeah. uh, I can't wait. Yeah, two things I want to say. First off, can you believe that Ted Danson is seventy? I did not know that. Yeah, seventy years old, crazy. But then another show that just finished outside my list stars his wife, Mary Steenburgen, um, The Last Man on Earth, one of my favorites as well. That's definitely in the top 15 if we'd expanded this list. Um, to have both of them doing these kooky kind of characters on two of the weirdest sitcoms on network TV. Yeah. What else do you want in the world? Now, I had heard rumors that that is on the bubble of not being renewed. Have you heard that? Uh, I haven't really followed much of that at all. You know, So I, it very well might be on the bubble. That would be a shame. Because it is so weird and so goofy. Um, and again, so unlike anything else. I, I hope that it gets renewed because it is um, Me too. one of the best half an hours of TV there is. They are the best at 30-second cameos for top-notch stars. And, <laughs> and then killing they, them. <laughs> they just introduced a new character who I'd really like to see where this plot line goes. So. Oh, man. I, I Am I... I don't know if I'm behind on episodes. I can't think of who this is. Well, they just got to the prison and they found a prisoner. And then they told his backstory. Oh, I don't think I've seen that yet. So, uh, yeah, you're going to need to watch that because the 30 second cameo on that one will floor you. Okay. I mean, I loved the Jack Black one and we've already, we've talked a lot about the Will Ferrell one. Um, John Hamm and oh yeah, John Hamm too. John Hamm does a lot of really you know you talked about him not being. It's hard to see him as a bad guy, but like he was a bad guy in Kimmy Schmidt, and you know he's you know he does these kind of weird, fun characters. People don't realize how like he's not just the guy from Mad Men. Like he's very very bizarre. No, I think he made a lot of conscious choices after that ended yeah. to. Do not be remembered as the guy from Mad Men. Not yeah. that that's, you know, anything to throw a book at, but, you know, he's much more than that, than Don yeah. Draper. Thank God. Yeah, absolutely. Is Fred Armisen, is that who the the, the new character is? Yes, and the last okay, episode was his backstory. backstory okay, I haven't seen the, that. Oh, you must watch that. Yeah, before they went on break, I remember Fred Armisen showing up because, of course, it's another Saturday Night Live person. So, okay, anyway, um, Jen... 
I, is there anything else that we are missing that we need to talk about from 2017? Um, I think we pretty much covered it. All right, so that is our third annual... Crap, I can't believe it's been three years. It's our third annual favorites of the previous year countdown list. Thank you for listening to this episode of Broadway World, Some Like It Pop. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com. You can get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, so make sure to subscribe, download, and share the gift that is Some Like It Pop. Also, do our egos a favor and follow the show on Twitter at SLIP Podcast, and go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us, please, and thank you. Please feel free to get in touch with either Jen or me on Twitter and let us know what you thought of the TV shows and movies that we ranked. Tell us what you would have had as your number ones. We really would like to hear that. And we'll be back in a couple weeks. We'll finally have our next list of Palooza, which was recorded in July. Oops. Oh um, and then we'll, <laughs> we'll get back to doing those regularly. We're going to get back on a more set schedule here and maybe have some other things maybe uh, in the podcast feed as well in addition to our regular episodes and lists. But until then, we will see you around the Broadway world.